Hey everybody and welcome to episode 5 of Journey Through Grail Island. I'm your host Zig and joining me is... Emma! Sarah! Barry! This month we're going to be talking about PWG's 6th show, uh, Pimpin' in High Places, which took place on the 13th of December 2003 in the Westside Jewish Community Centre. I was attended by 137 people according to Cage Match, although I don't know how they got numbers that specific for a show 16 years ago. Yeah, did they ring the box office? Or a dragon know. was filling it in. <laughs> yeah. Is that attendance down? Yes, it yeah, is. It was yeah. 150 last, so... Maybe that 150 was an inflated number to be rounded up like True. some of those promotions, you mm. know? Not enough Christmas or Hanukkah-themed content on this December show. I'm very disappointed. I thought maybe, you know, I don't know what a Jewish-themed wrestling show was, but they always love to have, you know, Christmas themes, typically, wrestling people. They do have more theme shows down the line. No spoilers, but mm. they do get a bit better, I think, with their December shows. But yeah, this one was a letdown. I feel we should preface this by just coming out and saying it that this is not a good show <laughs> there will not be a lot of positives no and I think just coming off the back of the last show that was really good nearly from start to finish to come to this the energy just dropped and it was a slog to get through yeah I think we all watch it separately and we try not to talk about it until we record but I think we all had very similar viewings in that I had to break it up over four days <laughs> I think I separated into four different bits and even the last 30 minutes I kept stopping every few minutes because I just wasn't concentrating it was tough I guess we'll just get on with it our first match a lucha themed three-way between Phoenix Star Puma and Zocre Nice to see that we're seeing TJ Perkins on his third show with his third different gimmick. <laughs> I was going to ask, actually, is that that Puma? Yeah, okay. The commentary was the usual Excalibur, Disco, and Super Dragon was back this time, but also a special guest, a very inebriated Taro, <laughs> joined them in the booth. You'd have to imagine they were out or something before recording this commentary, because from match one... They were drunk, like it wasn't like a slow descent into madness. It was from John Ian's first words. I was like, okay, this is gonna be the vibe for the show. Disco and um, Excalibur claimed to not be drinking. Was I was I worked? I I could believe Disco wasn't based on the fact that it, you know in his unusual turn up for the books, he seemed like he was trying to keep control a little bit. Excalibur, I mean, maybe he wasn't drunk necessarily, but he was certainly um, unhinged enough that I would say it seemed like he was. We do get we get a little peek behind the curtain later when they admit that that yet they are sitting in Super Dragon's bedroom and they're watching this without sound, and I know that. Uh, they would often stay with Super Dragon after a show, so I imagine they it, it's af- it's late after a show. I'd say like the last time, like it's you know four or five o'clock in the morning. They're delirious. When they when they reference Super Dragon's bedroom, I have no reason to believe this is the case, but I did think he was living with his parents, and I could just imagine them in his room, like, "Ma'am, I'm running my wrestling promotion. Don't come in." <laughs> well, yes. Um, ex- when Excalibur moved to California, he moved in with. A Super Dragon and Super and Super Dragon's family oh, home, wow. and he lived above the car garage oh. in like a little renovated studio where I think Super Dragon was living, and then that's where Excalibur moved into, and that's when he started training. Okay. So maybe 
very, a very American thing to live above a, gar- a garage and have a converted yeah. room above. I feel like I've never heard that here, like in this part of the world. We don't have garages. We don't have garages. No. We're basements for that matter. Yeah, no, we don't have. Yeah, we don't have basements at all. I liked that when they were mentioning Taro's drinking. They were talking about what he was drinking, like he was drinking hipster beer. And for those of you who don't know, Taro actually runs like a a beer and baseball blog with Disco Machine. So like, it's cool to see that even back then he was on that buzz. There was one thing I was annoyed about though, when they were talking about what Taro was drinking. Murphy's Red. Murphy's Red. But he said it was Norwegian. That's, that's Irish. A bit upset about yeah. that, yeah. And it's, just... it's also delicious. <laughs> so, Murphy's, if you're listening... How, how would you confuse it for Norwegian as well? I feel like its branding is very kind of, I, you know... I think it was brewed or oh, bottled okay, in Norway maybe. or something like yeah. that, and he just read that as yeah. that's where it was from. Well, he was, a, he was a young boy back then. These days, he's a seasoned beer connoisseur, you know. So, of after course. these days, he pay homage to the real, uh, the real heads. So much? Yeah, yeah. So I suppose we can't prolong it any anymore. I think we've talked longer than the than the match. Than the match actually went. I will say I thought the match was a lot of fun. It was. It was. It was yeah. Um, here, I don't know if anyone else noticed this. Was this a one camera angle match? Did anyone else yes, notice this? Yes, because they couldn't use the other camera. Ooh. Like they taped stuff. None of the shots were usable. Oh, okay, that's, For, that's what they said in commentary. Oh, I didn't even. I didn't even catch that. So what was it? Just. Amateur cameramen didn't know what they were doing. Or? I assume it was Johnny Paradise. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> but also, when they're watching it back, what I have gathered is they're just watching a one camera okay. angle. They're only watching the hard cam. They're not watching with that right. sound. They don't get the edited version okay. that we get. We get. Yeah, no, this was a really fun match, and okay, I suppose maybe there's a reason why it only had less than five minutes, and it kind of benefited from that fact, but. It did leave you wanting more from the three competitors. And in the context of the show, like a six-match show, mm-hmm. they probably could have gone longer. Yeah. So Puma won this by Piledriver on Phoenix Star. And um, I, the commentary, the nerds that they are, they are still wrestling there. They called it, did they call it a marionette? The, the lucha name for the, for the spinning tombstone? Was that correct? That's what it was. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, and I think Excalibur even referenced that it was banned because it's like a, you know... A, no, it was Disco said... That's banned. And Excalibur goes, we're not in fucking Mexico. It's not. (laughs) (laughs) Our second match is a tag team contest between the Aerial Express, Quicksilver and Scorpio Sky against the debuting Havana Pitbulls, Rocky Romero, Ricky Reyes, being accompanied by Larry Rivera. You almost would not recognise Rocky Romero, especially like looking at him in a 2019 context. He's quite broad, a lot broader, Mm. big, thick neck. They look more similar. Like they look, they they look like a tag team. Yeah, yeah, very much. Ricky Reyes hasn't changed at all over no. the years. He is stocky, wide guy, whereas like Rocky's slimmed down a bit more. Really early on, when they start doing the the commentators start fading as though they're exchanging Christmas gifts, and it's like straight away they're not taking the match seriously. I just got really annoyed at Excalibur rolling his oars for the Ricardo Knox, and he just and I was like, haha, that's kind of funny, like the first time. But then he just kept going kept with going. it. I'm like, all right, end the bit, Excalibur, end the bloody bit. I get it. He's the most passionate of lovers. Because I wanted to see Rocky Romero. Rocky Romero in 2019 is still one of my absolute favorites, and. This debut was not great. <laughs> the match itself was okay. Very long, though. Yeah. Like, yeah. If that was the funny thing about that opener we mentioned. It wasn't just that this show in general was short. It was like, that was short. And then, weirdly, this was felt like it was over 20 minutes. I don't know what the actual runtime of it was, but it was 
it just kept going and going. And as well, the, with, the, with the Christmas gift bit, it's like they were obviously picking stuff up from around the room and doing little improv bits. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> this match is mostly the commentary. Disco Machine is a bad tipper. Despite making 250 <laughs> grand a year, uh, he leaves shitty tips, which upset a waitress in a place that they're just in, I guess. And they apologise to her as if she's going to be watch, to this. <laughs> watching this show in six months' time. Maybe she's listening to this podcast and she's like, oh, that guy, yeah. yeah. He wore a mask and a suit. <laughs> they did mention Taro was retired. Yeah, that surprised me. But yeah. he isn't on the past two shows. Yeah. So I guess he is. Didn't get a send-off the big man deserved. No. Is this a send-off? I guess get drunk on commentary and while all this was going on Super Dragon is in the corner writing his memoir A Brief History of Super Dragon which I'm still waiting to read when they mentioned that Super Dragon is there I always thought it was a bit but he actually is there I do genuinely believe that he yeah there's times they reference him doing something in the background or I think at one point they ask him to hand them something (laughs) so he is actually there Stay, I suppose he's not mic'd up so you won't hear him, but like, stay in the silent as you'd expect him, I guess. Another good moment was uh, Disco doing his now obligatory one minute of serious commentary until he gets too nervous <laughs> has to stop because he realises he's being serious. Also, I couldn't tell serious or not, uh, maybe this is, ex- you know, I should know this, but Excalibur called uh, the team's finish the Cuban Missile Crisis. Is that, was that a bit or was that serious? Put the move names back on Wikipedia. Wikipedia? Yes. It's Save Lives. Have you ever donated to Wikipedia? I have. Well, then you make the call. <laughs> Wikipedia, <laughs> please. <laughs> Sir. I will donate whatever it takes to get the move names back up because for the life of me, I cannot remember move names. It was a good move as well, which the Pitbulls won by. Any point whatsoever in Larry Rivera being there? Nope. I completely forgot he was there, actually. Now that you mentioned he walked it. out with them. He did nothing. Because he didn't interfere. Nope. He didn't have any part of the match. He didn't even bang on the ring. Yeah. There's a few timely references to Princess Diana <laughs> yes. dying in a car crash. <laughs> no. And when Scorpio and Quicksilver do a dive to the outside, Galbraith says, luckily, neither man died. Like the late Dodi Al-Fayed. And that would have been, what, seven years late at the time this was recorded? Six. It was 1997. Six, six, yeah, okay. Okay. Here we go. Brace yourselves, people. Our third match is the much-hyped hair versus hair match between Chris Bosch and Excalibur. And some guy in the crowd was very excited for it because when Bosch's music hit, you just heard him go, That's Chris Bosch! <laughs> <laughs> I love the cut-up t-shirt that Excalibur came out with. What was this 1980s heartthrob top he was wearing? I think it was just like an homage to 80s hair matches. Yeah, and then he rips it off to reveal his very smooth body. His very, very svelte physique. The match starts and Bosch gets the upper hand. He lays into Excalibur, throws him to the outside. Gets up on the turnbuckle and absolutely creases him with a somersault I'm fairly sure Excalibur broke all of his ribs on that and of course made sure to use that as a jab at Bosch on the commentary of course saying he was crushed by his fat ass <laughs> I thought the action here was alright I thought it was actually a decent little match I think the commentary is a bit of an albatross on this show but in, in this match in general we'll have much to say but 
I'd say as as a match, it was all right. Um, Chris Bosch busting out a Steiner screwdriver towards yeah. the end. I could not believe that. That was very cool. That led to me watching a compilation of <laughs> Steiner <laughs> screwdrivers. <laughs> what a sick move. Very nice, yeah. Caliber, like, you know, you don't really think of him as one of the many, many SoCal Lucha guys, but lots of wacky submissions in this. Also Excalibur with a horrendous looking Shining Wizard at one point. Very bad. And I think his reaction was, oh God, I'm going to stop doing that. Excalibur asked uh, Bosch for the commentary. Excalibur goes to Bosch and asks him what the name of that move is. And Bosch says, it's called the Booyah Bomb. <laughs> Excalibur thought he was joking. and goes, okay, but what's it called? He goes, yeah, the Booyah Bomb. <laughs> I'm not calling it that. But that's what it's called. And he said they had a big argument over calling it the Booyah Bomb. Yeah, Chris Bosch ripping Excalibur's mask. And Excalibur was a bit hysterical on commentary about that. Who's the heel here? That is my big question coming out of this match. I thought Team Cheese more were heels. That's what they should... That's what they were. Yeah. But no one likes Chris Bosch. <laughs> but, then, but then I don't know if... I guess were they leading into that from the previous shows? Okay, well, no one likes Chris Bosch. Everyone likes yeah. Super Dragon, so let's switch. Was That that might have been the rationale. So Bosch dropkicks the ref when he can't put Excalibur away. Aerial Express comes out and teases that they're going to save Excalibur, but then they lay him out. And that leads to the rest of Team Cheeseball coming in. And of course, the other kind of annoying thing about this match, don't get a finish, don't get a shaving, as we were promised. And it kind of felt like Bosch and his cohorts were the heels and Excalibur was actually the babyface and Dragon was the saviour. Then later on in the show, Dragon was not positioned as a babyface at all. It was kind of hard to... But yet was still being cheered. But was still being cheered, of course, because he's kind of the guy on the scene. Disco Machine came out without a mask. His shirt was awful. Yeah. <laughs> Very mid-2000s, going out clothes, we should say. Real country boy coming to Dublin to go to Coppers on a Saturday night. And um, stop many people. A reference which, which, yeah, not many people are going to get. But if you know, you know. Actually, one of my favourite commentary lines of all time was set in this match. So they're talking about Chris Bosch. So Excalibur has him in a good old hold, a sleeper hold. And they're talking about how Chris Bosch, they were cutting his air supply, much like the band air supply that Chris Bosch is a big fan of. And Disco chimes in, he's all out of love, he's all out of breath. <laughs> and it's at this point where, to be honest, Team Cheesemo turned face for me because <laughs> that's the best line I've ever heard in commentary. So when Disco Machine runs in, he dives into the ring, but he also, then he di- just goes straight through the ring and out the other side. He does a Billy Gubbs. <laughs> so he did. I mean, it was a very quick way to get from one side of the ring to the other. But while everyone is, I suppose, concentrating on that, Super Dragon has a brick. <laughs> Super Dragon comes running out with a brick in his hand, which... It's the most badass thing I've ever seen. It was towards the end of the brawl that you see the brick as well. So they're having a big, they're having a genuinely really good wild pull apart brawl where they're falling into the crowd and dra- dragons being dragon like just falling all over the place. And, and then as the as the heels are scarpering off, the camera just pans back to dragon. He's got this brick in his head like Father Jack in that one episode of Father Ted. He just has the brick. It's great. This brick then leads us to our first mid-show promo with Excalibur nursing his wounds, torn up mask, where he... It's quite an infamous promo. I'd say a lot of people listening have heard us without the context, because like, I remember it was, a, it was a promo that went around the internet for a long time before I'd even watched PWG, or I didn't even know who it was cutting the promo. 
So Excalibur is threatening Bosch and Aerial Express where he um, makes reference to the fact that he is one of the part owners of the company and he drops two very iconic lines but I'll just say the first one first. I've got 99 problems running this company and you bitches ain't one which I assume was very topical at the time and then that's all <laughs> that was the whole promo the end and then he lays out his threat to Bosch where he vows to get his own back maybe not today maybe not tomorrow maybe not six months down the line but one day he'll surprise him in his house with a brick the problematic part of this is that Excalibur drops an N-bomb yes in around there and this is coming after a match as well where he was having we mentioned some of the funny lines on commentary but he was having quite a time on commentary in that last match uh, I believe we got an F-bomb on that match R.E. Chris Bosch yeah get um, a time you yeah um, and it's it's a shame because it's like if, if he didn't say that in this promo I think I like the idea of him swearing revenge by popping out of Chris Bosch's toilet with a brick but then he just has to put that stinger in there. And it's like it's like we said, I think, way back on the first show when we did our first podcast talking about the debut show. It is the 15-year-old sense of humor that, you know, he's talking about how he's going to fight Chris Bosch. So he thinks it's probably, like, funny and not at all bad if I say this in work because I'm talking to Chris Bosch. Do you know what I mean? But that's just so pure island immature and not really, you know, it's still really bad. You know? I will have to respectfully disagree. This isn't a funny promo. He's being serious and he's coming across as threatening. Mm. I will agree that, yes, he's being edgy and he's mm. shock value, but I don't think there's any humour involved in this. But he does say he's going to jump out of his toilet. Yeah. Well, okay, but I can see, I can see what you're saying. But... With a brick and then shouts mm. the N-word. I think it was a very difficult one to watch and it's very difficult to go back and this is someone that we revere and we respect and he's built up so much and to watch that it's like oh no it really does just it, it, it you got that sinking feeling and I think we we all when we kind of got to that part we were like oh no like why yeah like there's so I, we, I, there's so many things that are said on these shows and you know that they wholeheartedly regret saying them and the fact that they're out there for people to listen to and watch because present day they're not those people anymore and but it's one of those things it's like oh, it's hard it's hard it's a hard thing to talk about mm. because I don't as you may have listened on the Art of Wrestling with Cole Cabana this podcast is actually brought up because Excalibur mentions that he has said some regrettable things on pod, on a commentary and he hates the fact that we're listening to them <laughs> and it, it's promos like this that he probably remembers and he knows that that's going to be referenced and he's like why did I say that it's not my place to make an excuse for him like I don't know that he does feel regret but I assume when he says he regrets the things he says that it was things like this and some of the other references in commentary I'd say so and it sounded sincere like he sounded kind of like mortified when they were talking about the podcast like like you could just picture like the the kind of uh, like awkward laugh and stuff like that like you know I'm sure I'm sure he looks back at it and goes you know what an idiot you know and like Emma said it was kind of like edgelordy yeah I think the thing about it in this promo was it was wholly unnecessary yeah Uh, and as Flan said it it 
took the wind out of my sails between between all the stuff he was saying in the match and then this promo this is the shortest in terms of runtime this is the shortest show we watched and it felt like the most of a slog because I feel like the the wind was really taken out of the sails by this whole segment yeah I think we're in a difficult position we are four white people we have no right to forgive him or to comment on well we have a right to comment on it but I don't think we're in a position where we should where we can make excuses for him and I hope that it doesn't come across that we are because I was upset by this and I actually yeah I had to stop watching for about two days it has no place in wrestling and I think in 2019 it didn't in 2003 it didn't in 2000 no I was gonna say in 2019 people don't stand for it I think that's the difference, yeah. I think we're, we're all more... I think, generally speaking, the community is more vocally in agreement today, whereas back then, I, was it maybe more kind of hand-wavy? People go, oh, well, that's bad, but whatever. Back, like, then, yeah, back it, then, people found it funny. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it, it went was, around, yeah, yeah. and like I probably laughed at it I too. Absolutely, I'm sure I did. Absolutely, yeah. I would have. I'm sure, like you said, this bit, there used to be compilations on, on early days YouTube of funny PWG moments. This was definitely on there, and I definitely watched it, and I definitely laughed. As Emma said, we watch it at different times, and I think each time one of us got to that point, we messaged each other going, Shit. Yeah. Shit. I think you'd be hard to find a wrestler in this time, especially an American wrestler who didn't use the other F word. I mean, I think we've all seen those El Generico Sami Zayn videos where he's essentially doing a black character. It seemed to have been, not that it was fair game, but it was just done. And, but I don't think they were held to the standard that we as fans hold them to now. And they won't get away with it, and that's good. If they're still using it, I'm... I, You've got dyes. Yeah, yeah, but I don't think they are, and I do think a lot of them will look back on this and say... They will say, oh, it was the time, it was a different time. Mm-hmm. And that's not a good enough excuse, but if they have learned from it, if they apologise from it, and if they, if they realise what they have said is wrong. I think wrestlers are still using the word retard. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and... In two, three years, hopefully, it will go on the same way that people won't be using that word anymore and they'll realise it was bad. Yeah. But they, like, it's just another word in their vocabulary. Yeah. yeah they don't understand. Oh, I hate this. There's no real natural way to segue out of that, so we're just going to carry on. From this. offensive to mm, offensive. <laughs> <laughs> this is Barry's favourite wrestler you're talking about here. Yeah. Shannon Ballard. <laughs> so our fourth match is the Ballard Brothers against the newly formed Fly Daddy, M Dog Twenty, and Jardy France. Sorry, is this just scrambling to get teams together yes. for yes. next month? Jardy France got a nineties rom com lead actress haircut. Very Nev Campbell, I thought. Yeah, or Rachel Lee Cook. I was hoping you'd have another reference. <laughs> all I can think of was Lee Campbell. She's all that. Ballard Brothers. Speaking of hair. They've got a nice plum colour. Both of them have dyed their, their dirty brown <laughs> hair into a wonderful autumnal plum. I, I think we talked about they come out to freak on a leash, but it starts off with the opening bar to O Canada. <laughs> and they come out with a novelty size. No, not novelty size. Oversized. Oversized Canadian flag. <clears throat> and... There's, so there's two Canadian girls, I'm guessing, a, in the front row. And a man. And a man. And they awkwardly all hug. Hug, yeah. One Ballard hugs the girls 
little bit longer than the other ballad. He lingers. He does linger. And Excalibur says he loved it. He loves the ladies. I was like, are they his sisters? Pals? There was a wink in there. I could not because they did look quite young as well. So I couldn't comprehend what this dynamic was. What I didn't understand is why he because he hugged the two of them together. Yeah. It wasn't like he was hugging his girlfriend and her friend. It it was suspicious. Yeah. I didn't like it. Maybe it was, it was very unusual. Before we move on, on one last Ballard note, did anyone else pick up on how Excalibur was distinguishing between the two of them? The knee brace? Yes. Yeah, yeah he said, Shane, Shane is the one without the knee brace, he said. And I don't know why my brain made this connection, but all I could think of was seven years ago when Booker T claimed on commentary that he could tell the Sin Caras apart. Remember the fake Sin Cara saga? He said one of them, he was definitely making this up, one of them had a little black square on his boot. Definitely a lie. Definitely just bullshitting on, on random Smackdown commentary. <laughs> and that's all I could think of this match is how the Ballards were like, good Sin Cara and bad Sin Cara team. Never mind one of them having a giant tattoo. Yeah. Well, you know, he, <laughs> he didn't have that at the time, but he was, it, the one that, the, the fake one, who was much bigger he's a big bulky lad and Booker T was just like look at that little pixel of a square on his boot that's how you know he's not the real one it was in this match that they revealed that they were doing the commentary in Super Dragon's bedroom where they likened this to Beyond the Mass where you used to think the Pulp Fiction style promos were in the ECW arena or real cool venues but they're actually just filmed in the basement of Paul Heyman's parents' house which is probably where you thought yeah. Super Dragon's parents mom and Papa Dragon <laughs> yeah, yeah. I did love the Beyond the Mat reference every time I, I always forget about that scene but literally his man's basement he's recording these iconic promos it's one of my favourite aspects of that film I think um, the commentary also sums this match up for me Taro is apparently the only one watching the match <laughs> and he goes they're really working the back Excalibur goes are they? <laughs> I hadn't noticed and neither had I to be honest I really could not concentrate on this one they were really working the back there was a lot of back stomps that's all the ballads can do M-Dog was you know he was the best obviously he was the best wrestler by like a country mind in this match he was really selling the back really trying to keep it together he had a big task with him in this match so Excalibur has a lovely Jardy Franz anecdote Jardy called up a singles party line not really sure what that entails yeah, that was my first question yeah first I thought it was a sex line but now I think it's like the it, old it online dating okay he was connected with a woman in her 40s and he said you want to hang out she said sure come on over so they sat on the couch and they wanted to watch TV and the dog sat in between us so I said why don't you move your dog and she moved her dog so I fucked it Charlie Franz the true gentleman <laughs> I've never seen a story stop dead and it's like, like when he's getting to the point in the story where the dog comes over I'm like oh, I wonder where this is going to go I wonder if they fed the dog some weed or some wacky shit like that but no they shoo the dog away and fuck on the couch and that's the end of the story best thing Jadie Franz has ever done though M Dog just looks like shit I know I talk about this all the time and I think I know what my problem is it's because wrestling boots underneath his tracksuit pants oh, it looks yes. like he's wearing dress shoes yes. yeah it yeah. does he looks like he had to put the bins out and he just <laughs> grabbed the first pair of shoes he could find which were the f- shoes from his wedding I always had a problem with the Hardys with that as well yes because they look like tap dancing shoes yes because yes. they're white and black yeah. Yes. yeah absolutely so sick of having to carry Jardy throughout the match 
M Dog loses it and turns on him, hits him with a forearm. One of the ballards rolls him up and pins him with the assistance of the ropes. And then after the match, M Dog and Jardy have the saddest pull apart. Yeah, I've it's ever pathetic. Seen. The most lethargic push. It was also two turns, two matches in a row. Yeah. Well, actually, no, I say that. M Dog like, turned on Jardy. But he didn't become a heel. No. The crowd was still really to him because they noticed that Jardy is shite. Yeah, he did the uh, the RVD kick, the split, like the one-legged drop kick, just looked horrible. He broke up a pin with a flying knee, but it basically looked like he jumped off the top rope and landed next to the pin and rolled through. I was like, oh, this is, it's proper, like, backyarder stuff. It's really terrible. Backyarders would be offended by that <laughs> comment. And, like, in the middle of all this, like, M-Dog was doing some decent stuff. And their pull-apart compared to Super Dragon's pull-apart was night and day. You know, it was a different league. Our fifth match and semi-main event is Samoa Joe against BJ Whitmer. Surprised to see him debut. I'm not aware of any kind of prominent run. Prominent run, yeah. So I think this might be more of a kind of a trivia note than anything else. More than the match, BJ's more known for his appearance on the cover. <laughs> he's so sunburned, but it's not like you know he sat out just a little bit too long. It literally looked like his scalp had been ravaged. <laughs> it was December, BJ. What were you doing? It's terrible. Nothing against the man. No. I mean, solid worker, have enjoyed his work. He was actually one of those guys that, not that I thought he was underrated, but I always thought he got a bad rep as being a bad worker, mm. where I never thought he was. Like in Ring of Honor, I, like, I never went out of my way to watch his matches. He never he, he never shit the bed. No. Like, I liked his Morishima match mm. and stuff like that. Like, when he was in there with someone really good, he could have a decent match. I think he was always unfortunate that when he was in a feud with someone, because the one that sticks out in my mind is Jimmy Jacobs. He's always in there with someone that you just like more than him. He's the solid hand. That's it. He is like one of the quintessential solid hands of this era, I would say. Having not really watched that much Ring of Honor and this being maybe the only BJ Whitmer match I've watched, I would never want to watch it again. <laughs> it wasn't, this match wasn't much. It, this it match, it, it, it's weird to use this term because it's Joe in his prime, but it kind of felt like he's doing the hits. Nothing nothing to it really, it was, it was alright. Um, under 10 minutes. Yeah, shorts. So Joe got the win by Armbar. This scares me. But the fact that it went nine minutes and then I looked at the running time. And I was like, oh no. There is 45 minutes left on the show, which put a fright up me too. On that note, main event. <laughs> Our main event of the evening. A grudge match following from last month's brawl. It's Super Dragon, Adam Pearce with Vanderpile, and Cole Cabana against CM Punk, Joey Ryan and PWG champion Frankie Kazarian. I noticed when Kokobana came out an absolute cuckold in the crowd <laughs> bowed to him, then Cabana motioned jerking off. The fan said, I still love you, and continued to bow. Have some self-respect. <laughs> there was that, and then the complete flip side of fan interaction is when Super Dragon came out, for seemingly no reason at all, he knocked a fan's drink out of his hand. There was dudes, like, did they have their hands extended? He was, like, high-fiving some fans, and then he came up to someone who dared not to have his hand extended for a Super Dragon high-five, and he slapped the drink out of him, and the dude... He didn't even freak out, he just looked at him and gave him the what the fuck was that look? And then completely flipping that, on the babyface side, Joey Ryan came out and spat on a fan. <laughs> and Cabana is dancing to Joey Ryan's music. Joey Ryan's on the other team. 
One thing I thought with Cabana came out, he's a shitty heel. Like, terrible. he might be better now, but terrible. he was terrible then. Mm. He's obviously not comfortable playing a heel at all. The one thing about the slapping the hands, I don't know if this is because of personal experience, but I find it really strange when wrestlers go around slapping fans' hands and that fans are so desperate to do it. And I don't know if this is just coming from me because I used to work in a children's adventure centre and the children were obsessed with coming down the slide and slapping everyone's hands, all the children. And these are eight-year-olds. <laughs> so when I see adults do this, I'm reminded of the fandom I'm a part of, of this arrested development. Hey, I, that's the name of the show. I do remember being at a show and it was one of the wrestlers coming out and a man who kept like standing in front of me and my brother to like put his hand out to the wrestlers and he just got in front of us at one point and just stroked their backs their sweaty backs <laughs> and we were both we, and we both just turned and we were like why? I was like that's not normal behaviour the fact that there's 45 minutes left to the show the entrances the jaw jacking the faking locking up mm-hmm. there was 10 minutes between Johnny and start talking and the first lock up of the match so at least we knew we only had half an hour left when that <laughs> happened. There was also no commentary during the entrances. And I thought that this signaled there was going to be no commentary for the match, which I was excited for. Yeah. And I thought maybe Super Dragon said, that's enough, lads. <laughs> Get out. Or for Ring of Honor, that was Gabe's way of saying, this is super serious. So like Joe Kobashi, there's commentary yeah. up to yeah. the main event. And then... I know, it was just so cringe Especially, I bet you were to watch it today Because I think also the Briscoes, Steen and Generico street fight They do about two minutes And then say, let's let this speak for itself It's like, oh, that's terrible That's absolutely terrible CM Punk was super over Super over, super blonde <laughs> um, He said it's clobbering time Which made me giggle not very good in the match, I didn't think. He had the flying dick attack moment where I think I was he supposed to do a leapfrog or something and he just hit Adam Pierce in the face with his dick. He tried to do something that the current day LAX do, the shining wizard off someone's back, and it looked kind of like the one Excalibur did earlier in the night. He just sort of ran into the other guy. Let's just put it on the table. CM Punk's shining wizards, they were not good. No. Ever. N- never. Ever, ever. This match, for me, was just... It was messy. It had its its good moments, but I think overall, as a match, it was just very messy. And at the end of this show, you just desperately wanted it to be so much better. It could have been with some of the names in it, but I just think there was so many different things happening that it just didn't click with me. I think the whole match was actually just a tease for Super Dragon and Punk. They did a lot of teasing there was a whole point point at the start where super dragon refused to wrestle punk he kept avoiding him going out of the ring giving him a little wave from outside of the ring and they were the best guys on this match i thought that they were trying to keep it together and definitely that would be i know they're building to pierce kaz but the biggest match pwg could put on at that moment in time was punk dragon Mm -hmm. so they were clever to do that Really didn't feel like Kaz was a star Once in again. his match. Yeah, he really felt like he's he's just it was almost like circumstance that he was the guy they were building around, but he wouldn't have been their first choice. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's kind of what it felt like. I was fine with him winning the belt on that show, but ever since it's waned. Mm-hmm. He's been outshone on each show now, and there's just something missing. I don't mean to skip ahead, but they cut promos after the match backstage. 
and just the one for the babyface team, you have a laborious Joey Ryan start cutting a promo. Then Punk just interrupts him. Because like, it was terrible. Dreadful. And Punk was really good, really passionate. And then it just cuts to Kaz and you're like, oh... You're not very good. He said no more Mr. Nice Frankie, which was so cringe. I've decided that the backdrop driver is still my favourite move in wrestling, but the supernatural driver might be a very close second. That is a great move. Someone needs to steal that. Oh no. No, I could You couldn't. What if he gave it to someone? If he gave it to someone, yes. If yeah. it was someone he was trained by. Yes, when Disco Machine makes his comeback, I'll let him have that. I want Biff to earn it in a singles match. <gasps> Biff can have it. Biff yes. can absolutely have yes. it. But he has to beat Dragon to get he has it. To beat Dragon with it to earn it. Yes. Biff, please leave WWE. <laughs> Come back to us. Please, sir. Come home. So Kaz hits Flux Capacitor on Dragon. Both of them land square in their heads. Yeah. The referee gets pulled out as Kaz would have pinned Dragon. The belt makes its way into the ring and Pierce pile drives. Kaz onto the belt and pins him, making him the de facto number one contender for the title. They sell this by having Frankie stretchered out on a door, which they play really super serious. Like Punk's like, I don't want to move him. I don't want to hurt his neck. I don't want to move him. And the crowd are just obnoxious. The show had been so shit. (laughs) And I think it did a disservice to the crowd to be like, hey guys, shut the fuck up. This guy's broken his neck. They were really annoying. They were really annoying, but let them be. It was a shit wrestling show. And, and let all, them have something. <laughs> to be fair, the crowd were saying, oh, he's selling. Yeah, well, he was. He was. <laughs> stupid, you can't. And it's then, real, Emma. And then he was like, give me something flat, give me something flat. And they, people were trying to help put it, get a table in. Get rid of the legs, fucking idiots. Why can't you put a table in the ring? Like, come on. You're asking them to make a stretcher out of a table to get your little... Theatre buddy out of the ring. No. <laughs> Theatre buddy? What, now you've just turned on wrestling? That's the show wasn't shit. that this bad. Fucking piss That's me the off. other thing, yeah, because you're so right, because not only, like... Oh, what do you mean? <laughs> no, she's right, because Punk's trying to be super dramatic. I don't want to move him. Uh, and it's no, like, I think and Punk was being actually serious. This was, this was oh, real life. No, yeah. Yeah. This, no. was, this so was Bill Brooks. But, 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 <laughs> <laughs> but Mr. Brooks, Mr. Brooks goes, so they're trying to keep this <laughs> They're trying to treat this dead serious And it's like It's just In your attempt to be serious You've exposed your company As this poxy little shindy Or they're like Someone get me a door Just to put this dead man on Stop calling it a door It was clearly a table Where are they going to get a door from? <laughs> it didn't look like it had legs It looked like a bit of practical was a table. There was a whole thing Where it was like just Well I'll say this much It wasn't a fucking stretcher And they weren't properly in Where do you get a door from In a community centre? Sorry have you watched any Indian any indie wrestling ever, yeah. Why do they have doors? Put people through. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. This show has broken us. Yeah, this might be the last one, so I hope you enjoyed <laughs> yeah. the run. We're throwing hands after yeah. this. They escorted Frankie. I assume on a table too. Uh, he was fine to cut a promo five minutes <laughs> yeah. later, standing that, pretty upright. That was no, he wasn't. He was sitting down, was he not? Okay. <laughs> I didn't watch the promos. <laughs> <laughs> I literally turned it off and went to sleep after that because I was pissed off. Does anyone want to hear some stories of CM Punk's weekend then? Yes. In our second reference to Jay-Z on this podcast, same song, I've Got 99 Problems. That's the title of his entry. Now, this is a very long entry. It was written on December 24th, 2003. So Punk 
Getting ready. A good Christmas Eve. Great Christmas. <laughs> Got a post for those internet nerds on my lab journal. This is a very long entry, so I will cherry pick the good bits. I'm going to skip to Saturday, December 13th, 2003, Los Angeles, California, PWG. I haven't slept a full night's sleep in two weeks. The most I've gotten at a single shot is four hours, and I'm just getting over this badass case of the super sleeping Asian cougar flu. I managed two three-hour naps on my respective flights from PA to the OC, but I'm still run down. My body is weary. Joe is punctual. That's a good thing to know about yeah. Samoa Joe. There's things to be done. People need kicking. Things need knocking over. And we've already got two parties and some assorted shenanigans lined up for the week. They then go to the Green Girl Saloon, which anyone who is familiar with any of the shoot interviews with Punk and Joe and Joe in general is his local bar. And Joe seems to know everyone in this bar. So you know that they're going to have a good time. Joe's got made game with all the bartenders, is what Punk says, made game. And he knocked back about a dozen glasses of Diet Pepsi. That seems to be excessive. We set off for the PWG show, and on the way, we stop off to join in on yelling, surprise, at the chief's birthday party. The chief is Joe's dad, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Now, here's Punk's review of the match. (laughs) PWG show was cool. I think the six man I was involved in came together nicely that for something that could have been a giant clusterfuck. Okay. nose. Okay. <laughs> I got news for you, mister. It's a good feeling when something like that comes together as good as it did. But that's just a testament to the talented workers I shared your ring with that Super day. Dragon. <laughs> and let's not forget Super Dragon either. Yes! I don't no, know. No, he's saying he's a bad worker. <laughs> oh, they didn't get on. Whatever. <laughs> also, the meeting of the three super heels finally took place as I met the Cubans. You might know them as the Havana Pitbulls, better known as Pansy Number no. 1 and his sidekick girl problems in what was supposed to be a historic meeting between myself and the two people who are practically my stepbrothers in this business due to all being trained by kevin quinn hungry for more silliness we head back straight to the green girl no not super dragon's house and party the house down with the girls of the saloon like only two beat up rashers know how lots of stories and lots of shots yeah motherfucker the girls didn't want me to feel left out, so they kept pouring me shots of cranberry juice. Oh <laughs> my god. It's me. <laughs> Look for a hilarious picture of Joe and I holding shot glasses with all the girls coming to an internet screen near you. Has anyone ever seen this picture? I've never I seen not. this picture. If someone has this picture, send it to us because he can't wait until the Haters and Steve Carino see these pictures. <laughs> <laughs> we still have two days left of this of these stories so i'll skip to the good bits joe receives a call to go down to club ibiza post haste straight away i know this isn't an ordinary night at a club we start to take notice of many of the high profile looking women all seem to be well let's say enhanced wearing high heels or thigh high boots hair up like a school dance Skirts cut low and cleavage galore. They picture us standing in the middle of all of this as we slowly turn each other as DJ says, following words into the house mic. Short for microphone, jerk. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Spearmint Rhino Private Christmas Party 2003. This story is infamous. These two go into an incredible amount of detail in their shoot interview. So I'm not going to read the rest of this word for word because it's really lengthy. 
But some of the highlights of this are they lose each other at some point. So Joe ends up basically judging this lap dance competition. And by judging it, the girls are obviously giving him lap dances. And that's what he's doing for the night. He is in his element. And then meanwhile, Punk is in another... I think he's in the Boom Boom Room. Um, (laughs) Of course. He fits in very well. We know. know. So, at the end of their story, now, with a very strange amount of stripper girls trying to follow me out, I run into Joe and he's fucking salsa dancing with the entire female Reese. Reese? Reese. (laughs) He's a P-I-M-P. Now, I think at this point, we are both so blown up and at the breaking point that we needed to leave. Thank Jeebus they stopped the music for their name, Entertainer of the Year Awards. That was our cue, and we were gone. He sticks around then in Southern California for a few other days, but I feel like he has a time of his life when he's with Job in Southern California. I feel like he's relaxed, he's not uptight, and Joe enables him to let loose. I think Joe brings out the best in him. I think that's why they were great in a shoot interview together as well. Like I think the two of them riff off each other well, and yeah. I think Punk enjoys his time with him. This is me casting aspersions, but I sort of feel like Cabana was more like his sidekick, mm-hmm. whereas Joe is his equal and his friend. His friend yeah. I sort of feel like he's the only one he actually respects. Because I think Joe is not afraid to put him in his place. Mm. He will call him out and stuff. That won't be the be the last of these live journal excerpts because coming up very soon, and I'm pretty sure it's the Tango and Cash Weekend, is a delightful, delightful story that we need to tell. Yes, the personal favourite of Sarah and mine. I'll just give a little hint. There might be a little burrito fairy wandering around that weekend. Is that something for you all to look forward to for next month's episode? Covering the Tango and Cash Invitational, which is a double header to crown the first PWG Tag Team Champions. I think we've already said this show was fairly shit, so yeah. <laughs> I don't think we need to say much more on it, no? No. So we might change the pace a bit, as this was the last show of 2003, and give our verdicts for Wrestler of the Year and Match of the Year. We might flesh it out a bit more in the coming years, should we remain friends. <laughs> but for now, seeing as we only have six shows to work off, We'll just keep it to those two categories. So we'll start with Barry. Okay, I, I think uh, for wrestler, it might be something of an obvious pick, but I would say Super Dragon. I think watching these early shows reminded me why I like Super Dragon so much. Why I think he would still, if he was still in his you know physical prime and he wanted to, I think he, I think he could still do quite well on the indies today. I think he has a kind of an energy to him as a wrestler that I really really enjoy, and I, I enjoyed him quite a lot. As much as I want to give rest of the year to Scott Lost, I have to go with my journalist head and give it to Super Dragon. He was the highlight of probably nearly every show he was on. Always delivered and there's not much else to say. He's an enigma and he's an enigma for a reason. Okay, my rest of the year. um, I've been thinking long and hard about this ever since Zig told me I'd have to choose it a couple of hours ago. Man, I just don't know. They're all so good. But... I'm going to have to force him. Super Dragon is literally the best wrestler in the entire world of 2003. Yeah. <laughs> He's great. So, yes, yeah, Super Dragon is my wrestler of the year. What were you, Zig? Any dissenting opinion here, Zig? It's going to be a clean sweep for Dragon. Ah. Yes! It's not only that he's been the highlight of each show for me, it's that I've seen so very little of him. As much as I enjoy doing this podcast as a PWG thing, for me, it's nearly become a Super Dragon thing, 
where I'm now watching his career. As we said, like they're building a punk match now, and I can't wait to see how that goes. I can't wait to see what more guerrilla warfare is, because I know, I, I've never seen any of them, but I know he's in some wild ones over the years. And so I'm really looking forward to essentially seeing the majority of his career now through this. He's one of a kind. I can't liken him to anyone else. And I think he carries these shows. I think without him there in the early days, not only because he owns the company, but without his star presence, I don't think PWG becomes what it is. And now, match of the year, Barreled. There was two ones at the top of my mind for this. So it was between the Guerrilla Warfare and the Bad Mother 3000 final. And I would go with the Bad Mother 3000 final with uh, Kazarian becoming the first ever PWG champion. I thought it was really great. And I thought on a series of shows where Kaz has maybe felt a little overshadowed, I thought he did come off like the guy uh, on, on, on that one. So um, that'd be my, my favourite match of, of, of the series so far. Well, I'm going to go with Barry's other match that he mentioned with Guerrilla Warfare. Um, an iconic beginning for the Guerrilla Warfare match. And I think it holds up in present day. It was what it was. It was a violent, brutal match with two people who hated each other. And, you know, it was always that big thing when people are rivalries, you know, in a heated match. Why did they start off in a lockup? Like, these guys just went balls to the wall all weapons included I mean why wasn't a brick introduced in this match I'm surprised it wasn't you know <laughs> looking back now this was everything it needed to be it's a real standout in these batch of shows and even though it was over 30 minutes some might consider it a slog but I really really enjoyed it for the whole time I actually did find this one tough picking my favourite match but I'm going to go with Super Dragon and B-Boy versus the Briscoes. I love B-Boy and Super Dragon as a team. And I really like that match. Um, I don't have that much to say about it. <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. Um, so mine is a Super Dragon match as well. Also featuring Joey Ryan. So each match so far has featured one of them. But it's not Guerrilla Warfare. It's actually the tournament match they had on night two of Bad Mother 3000. I love that match, I thought it was a crazy spectacle and it is a match, if I saw it today in 2019, I would tell people to go out of their way to watch it. And a bit like Kaz in the final, like I thought it made Joey Ryan and he hasn't lived up to that since. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So I think that was a testament to what Super Dragon could do for him. Mm-hmm. Nice to have some varying opinions there for match of the year. So no consensus there, but an overwhelming consensus Super Dragon was the best wrestler in PWG in 2003. Forward to see where 2004 takes him mm. and the rest of the gang. You think I'd be happy that everyone shows Super Dragon, but I'm actually a bit pissed off. Because we're stealing your thunder. You're stealing my man. <laughs> I don't want him. That's fine. <laughs> I'll take him. <laughs> As always, if you want to follow us on Twitter, our at is Gorilla Island. You can subscribe to us on SoundCloud, iTunes or Spotify and the email to get in contact we haven't received any tip-offs on oats uh, is gorillaisland at gmail.com my individual Twitter is at zig on the rocks I'm at the Barry Led. at Sarah Flan at o underscore energy she's getting so good at that I'm oh, so proud <laughs> uh, so we'll catch you next year which is next month bye bye, bye. bye. bye.